District of Conservation is sponsored by the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow. CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to cfact.org. Thank you so much for listening to the program. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. This week, the Securities and Exchange Commission will be closing its reopened rule on whether or not to list natural asset companies on the New York Stock Exchange. One of the integral figures fighting this rule is Utah Treasurer Marlo Oaks. Treasurer Oaks and 21 other financial officers from across the country, largely from red states, have banded together in response to the SEC closing this rule prematurely back in October. Working with congressional partners and American Stewards of Liberty, the efforts of Treasurer Oaks and his colleagues from across the country forced the SEC to reopen comment period on December 28th. This Wednesday, the SEC rule will be closing at midnight. I recently sat down with Treasurer Oaks to talk about this rule, its ties to the environmental, social, and governance movement, how it's even beyond an ESG investment because it stems from President Biden's day one climate executive order to go net zero and also related to 30 by 30, which is the very flawed non-conservationist plan to so-called protect 30% of waters and 30% of lands by arbitrary deadlines like 2030. Here's a little backgrounder on Treasurer Oaks. He is Utah's 26th state treasurer. He was appointed in July 2021 and then elected in November 2022 to finish his predecessor's term. Mr. Oaks spent much of his career in money management and is one of only two state treasurers with institutional investment management experience. Because of Treasurer Oaks' knowledge of capital markets, he is leading the fight to protect economic freedoms. What you will learn in our discussion today why the fight against ESG has exploded, why ESG is not free market-based, what threats ESG poses, especially with respect to property rights, and also federal lands access, especially with this NAC rule from the SEC, and other misconceptions about those fighting ESG. I highly recommend you look at the resources included in the show notes today. And if you have concerns and questions about this SEC NAC rule, to Submit comments before the January 18th deadline. I will be submitting comments on behalf of Independent Women's Forum. I've been writing about this issue, talking about this issue on behalf of the organization and with partners like American Stewards of Liberty and CFACT. And it's really important that this rule is fought. So we're grateful to Treasurer Oaks for joining the show today. And I hope you learn more about this topic and about ESG in general. Here on the podcast, we have been talking at great length about the environmental, social, and governance movement and an offshoot of that called Natural Asset Companies. One of the people leading the charge against this, especially as it relates to a securities and exchange commission rule, is Utah Treasurer Marlo Oaks. He and 22 other financial officers from across the country have been very aggressive in responding to this rule, which was initially closed off and then reopened because of their efforts and that of other stakeholders fighting to the nail against this new so-called ESG listing, which we'll go into detail. And I'm really thrilled to have Treasurer Oaks on the program to discuss this. Thank you so much for joining, especially since you're very busy trying to fight this. Yeah, thank you, Gabrielle. I really appreciate the opportunity to, you know, get the word out. That's that's one thing that as state treasurer, you know, I'm not doing 
uh, policy. I'm not a legislator, um, but a lot of what I do is educating uh, people on on things like this. So really appreciate the the opportunity to to talk more about it. Could you explain what a financial officer does like a treasurer or a state auditor? Because I think there are so many roles out there, uh, elected positions or appointed positions, and people may conflate the the work that you do perhaps with an attorney general. So could you explain exactly what a treasurer does? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question because most people uh, don't don't know. Um, in in the state of Utah, and every every state is a little bit different, but uh, in the state of Utah, I, I think of it as a chief investment officer and chief banking officer. So what that means is that um, I oversee a lot of investments, both internally in in the uh, treasurer's office. So we have uh, about thirty four billion. In a, in a short-term kind of money market fund that a lot of different municipalities and other um, public entities participate in. Uh, and then we have about a, b- a billion plus in longer-term investment portfolios like endowments. I sit on the retirement system uh, board of trustees. Uh, and then we do f- financial education, uh, financial literacy. Uh, if the state needs to raise money uh, from investors, that comes through the treasurer's office. So I view the credit rating of our state, for example, of a key asset that the treasurer really is responsible for protecting so that we can borrow money at the cheapest rates uh, possible. So it really is, uh, you know, financially related. It has to do with investment management and 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 raising money and then education. And, and then, of course, uh, as a consultant to the legislature, if they're looking at uh, spending and if that will impact the, the state's borrowing and, and what kind of impact that might have on our credit rating. So hopefully that's helpful. I think that's a good explanation. That's how I've come to understand the position in my work trying to extrapolate what ESG is. Why have state financial officers like yourselves begun to fight the ESG movement? When did it really take hold uh, for you in Utah? And and what specific action has Utah done, let's say, against the big three, Black, uh, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, if you have taken any action? And I know you have, so I would love you to explain why did you get into the fight against ESG and what specifically has Utah done? So the the treasurer's office is really at the crossroads of politics and cap and the capital markets, um, and you know in the past um, politics has not seeped into the capital markets. It's really been separate. And um, and what happened when the Biden administration took over is that they started pushing this whole of government approach, um, and and we saw things that typically were not being pushed in corporate America suddenly. Uh, corporate America was being pushed to to uh, adopt ESG. Essentially, um, the problem with that is that um, investing is really uh, th- there's really no agenda other than to make money. Uh, people invest to reach certain financial goals, and and once you introduce an agenda outside of of that um, goal to make money, you're no longer investing. And and we have very strong fiduciary law. If I'm managing money for somebody, I have a fiduciary obligation uh, to uh, uh, make decisions in their best financial interest. 
And, and that's something that is under threat from ESG because ESG introduces another agenda that that goes beyond just trying to uh, make the best financial de decisions for someone. So th the reason that that treasurers got involved, and certainly the reason that I got involved, is because I saw ESG as a threat to our uh, economic freedoms and ultimately um, the whole climate hysteria, that whole narrative is um, it's really a pretext to change our economic system. Um, the United Nations had a, a study that they uh, commissioned back in 2018, and the headline from that uh, from the Huffington Post was, we cannot uh, address climate change with capitalism, something like that. Uh, you know, AOC's chief of staff back in 2019 said the Green New Deal wasn't originally about the climate. It was about how do you change the economic system. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he was saying. So, um, our economic system is under attack, and it's under attack from things like ESG, and it, and they look like they fit into our economic system, but they really change it. I've seen a lot of proponents of ESG who happen to be very anti-capitalistic and even anti-free market, stemming from sitting in on congressional hearings uh, with a predecessor of mine uh, with the Independent Women's Forum. Now I lead their Center for Energy and Conservation. I sat in in a hearing and I saw people who have taken consistent positions against free markets, gaslighting us in attendance that this is a free market innovation, a free market strategy. And when you extrapolate that and kind of dig further, you see if, if you're a free market proponent that it's it's not because it's essentially a tool to force behavior. It's very co coercive because you have the, let's say, Wall Street interests cooking up the idea, and then they genuflect and they kind of interact with the government and basically say, hey, government, here's your option to regulate markets through ESG. We're giving you a template to do it. The government takes it. They have done this uh, through the Department of Labor rule. They've done this through um, other iterations of rulemaking in the federal agency. So how are you... <laughs> I know a lot of the, the financial officers like yourself are pretty pro-free market. You, you traditionally support the free market. How are you hitting back at these accusations that you're engaging in anti-market behavior by responding to ESG, which is coercive? So so how are you guys fighting that? Yeah, no, and 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 that's you know, that's part of the um the challenge here is that it appears to fit within free market capitalism, but it does not. And so that's that's one of the things that I really talk about. There's a lot of fallacies around um, ESG and 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 what it is, um, because it, it just appears like we're you know providing more information for investors. How can that be bad? Um, you know, the, it's just trying to identify risks that corporations need to be aware of, investors need to be aware of uh, that sort of thing. The problem is, is that originally, the first document that really talks about ESG is back in 2004, the UN, who cares wins, and it says only if all actors contribute to the integration of ESG uh, can significant improvements in this field be achieved. So clearly there is a, an agenda at work, and it's interesting that they targeted the financial services um, sector because money is power, and it's the financial services sector that allocates capital in our free market system. And the analogy that I use is that with our legal system, you know, Lady Justice is wearing a blindfold. And the reason that Lady Justice is wearing a blindfold is it so that, that the decisions made in the legal system are based on law and law alone. As soon as she uh, removes that blindfold, then she, we start introducing things like empathy and, and deciding who is, has been harmed 
or, or who is the oppressed, right? And uh, versus the oppressor, and and we introduce things that are not legal based, and you corrupt the legal system. The analogy on the the on the business side in our our economic system is that decisions are made based on economics. And as soon as you introduce something other than an economic um, uh, criteria for making those decisions, you corrupt the economic system. And so that's what ESG does. And it really is a top-down effort to force behavior. And that is completely counter to free market capitalism because free market capitalism is based on the individual who is, um, you know, has demands and companies are trying to meet those demands. It's very much a bottom-up, um, uh, demand-driven, consumer-driven um, uh, system, very similar to our constitutional form of government, where each of us are sovereign beings who who uh, vote in our representatives. It, it's the individual that has the power in our system, and that's the same with our, our economic system. And ESG flips that on its head and and it makes demands of corporations in the hopes that that filters down through society to change society and then ultimately replaces free market capitalism with some unknown uh, system that that looks much more like uh, corporatism or or fascism where where the government and corporations are working together to push agendas on on society. It's very destructive. It's absolutely destructive. And I think people forget because we also talk about energy and environment here on the podcast. You can have a free market economy and also a healthy environment. I think a lot of people are trying to put the two in two, but it's important as we relate to free markets uh, here on the podcast why that's important. Treasure Oaks, I don't know if you've seen this, but I know having followed ESG for the better part of a few years, people have been increasingly dismissive or initially dismissive rather of opposition to ESG. We saw that it was deemed illegitimate. It's not a serious thing. It's a, you know, maybe a partisan or Republican culture war. I looked over an article published in the Harvard Business Review. I don't know if you got a chance to see this, but there's a chart that talks about uh, people who are understanding or uh, engaging in anti-ESG efforts or anti-sustainability, let's say, efforts. So they're ad- acknowledging that the efforts of you and other state financial officers, state's attorneys general, et cetera, et cetera, is starting to catch on and starting to, to catch fire. And they argue that certain interests like vested traditional investors, like fossil fuel companies, traditional investors, and also what they deem political exploiters, uh, some elected officials and pundits, they're not legitimate and they're not arguing in good faith when it comes to ESG. So we, we've seen kind of this volleying back and forth of dismissing ESG efforts, now there has to be one correct way to criticize ESG as long as you agree with ESG ultimately. How do you respond to that? <laughs> well, it sounds very similar to you know trying to shut down uh, debate, whatever it is. Um, there are legitimate concerns and, and reasons to fight back against ESG, and those are based on uh, sound economic principles. Um, our uh, business you know, um, system. Businesses have been under attack for a very long time. Uh, you know, people are in business are, you know, viewed as sometimes viewed as greedy and, you know, just want uh, want to make as much money uh, no matter what. But the, the reality is, is that our economic system 
has been the the basis for more innovation and more wealth creation than any other system in the world. It's the envy of the world, and it has been under attack for a very long time. And unfortunately, people um, often lose sight of how that system provides each of us as consumers power uh, to make decisions um, that are <clears throat> basically support our individual and societal freedoms. And so you do away with our economic system and, and you do away with the, the, the foundation uh, of, of free markets and you've lost uh, a significant um, free freedom because if you don't have economic freedom, you really don't have other freedoms. Uh, and, and so I think the attempt to demonize uh, people like me is is really uh, part of this overall effort to to push down push a top down centralized control type of mechanism through this country, and it's incredibly dangerous and it threatens uh, all of our uh, free institutions and and people hopefully we'll begin to connect the dots between what's happening uh, on the economic side uh, to what's happening uh, with, you know, free speech and uh, Twitter files and, and, you know, what happened with COVID and uh, trying to force behavior and, and shutting down alternative viewpoints. And I mean, this stuff is incredibly un-American and, and yet it is happening in so many different areas. It's really quite astonishing. I think people are catching on to ESG slowly, even those who may not partake in investing directly, because I think to anyone who reads into what ESG is, it's also a socio-political kind of manifestation of progressive politics. To me, it seems like an echoing of it, especially on the environmental and social prongs, very much a preservationist environmental agenda to go net zero, to phase out. And we're also seeing kind of the fallout from that because last year, ESG proponents, uh, the big three, all these different firms, they were closing down mutual funds. Uh, they saw a lot of withdrawal from ESG funds. Um, ESG did not have a great year last year, and, and they're forecasting a similarly shaky year. I think BlackRock announced they're laying off maybe 3% of their global workforce. They're not in a great position. So I think and they're they're coming from a position of weakness. Yeah, and and, and they and thankfully, um, you know, the market... Uh, is really um, proving the point that you know one of the one of the arguments was that that uh, ESG will result in better performance, and that just didn't make any sense economically mm -hmm. because once you start, if if you're trying to exclude, you know, certain parts of of um, the investment market, then you you're going to either underperform or have higher um, volatility, higher risk in your portfolio, and clearly the performance uh, has been. Uh, dismal in, in some of these things that avoided, for example, fossil fuel. Uh, but also very importantly, I think um, some of the, you know, the tr people who are harmed the most are uh, really starting to push back. So there's an, an organization, the 200, it's in the state of California. It's a statewide um, coalition of founders of civil rights organizations, community and business leaders, housing advocates, former state legislators, cabinet members. So this is not um, you know, a traditionally uh, conservative, what you would think of as anti-ESG kind of group, uh, they are they are suing the California Air Resource Board um, for the disparate impacts to California's minority population because of of the climate policies um, that are very much part of of ESG. And and it, what what ends up happening is you end up with higher energy costs, uh, not just at the pump, but 
uh, you know, to to heat your home and uh, or to cool your home, and and it really harms those who can least afford it, uh, and and are living with energy insecurity. We're, we're talking about um, serious market disruptions, and when you disrupt the markets and and push these artificial um, uh, barriers and and artificial impediments into markets, it distorts them and often leads to higher prices or or harmful. Uh, impacts to to those who can who can't afford it. That's why we've seen campaigns to rename ESG to forego using the term. They're using sustainability, renewable, green bonds, blue bonds, et cetera. And I think they're channeling their efforts into this next kind of subset of ESG that you've been working very, very tirelessly on combating natural asset companies. I saw from September 2021 the headline from Kiplinger that natural asset companies are the next ESG investment strategy or next ESG investment fund. Talk about how you and other financial officers are combating it because we have a rule coming up from the SEC who has no jurisdiction over lands and property, whether they're private or public. And somehow they're wanting to list this new enterprise on the New York Stock Exchange and it has a lot of implications. So explain for the listeners who are not familiar, just learning about this, what uh, natural asset companies entail, and then go into the SEC rule if you can. Sure. So a, a natural asset company is a new kind of of company, and and it, it's not based on economic activity. It's based on natural processes. So I think of it as financializing Mother Nature. And so in or, to be able to do that, because it's not based on traditional economic activity, our accounting standards are inadequate. Um, generally accepted accounting principles gap uh, is based on economic activity. Um, it's it's objective, you know, the dollars and cents. It's easy to track, and and that's that's what drives our accounting standards. When you when you move into areas that are not economically based, like what is the value of of photosynthesis, for example. Um, our accounting standards are inadequate. And so that's why the uh, the New York Stock Exchange had to go to the Securities and Exchange Commission to get a rule that would allow them to list this kind of company. And they would have to use a different kind of accounting system. And that system is based on United Nations uh, ecological uh, accounting standards that um, basically uh, are arbitrary in nature. They're assigning arbitrary value to um, natural processes that happen uh, and, and really make life on Earth possible. So um, if you think about um, externalities, the, the concept of an externality is that it's something that all of us uh, either are harmed by in the case of a negative externality like ex air pollution or benefit from like clean air. Um, and this is an effort to uh, monetize and financialize positive externalities, things that are, are just uh, happen in nature that are required to sustain life. And as soon as you do that, as soon as you create a value and, and you assign ownership to an externality, it is no longer an externality. Somebody owns it and they can start charging you for it. Uh, and, and that's the road that, that uh, or the Pandora's box that we're opening up here. Um, and and so 
it, it again represents a corruption of our e economic system that's based on economic activity. Uh, because what that natural asset company is designed to do, and the whole purpose of it, is to actually go out and find land and and manage for the ecological services that are happening on that land. So forest, it's you know photosynthesis, um, soil might be absorbing carbon, uh, and so so they only allow sustainable activity on that land. Um, which means that nothing considered unsustainable can happen on that land. And that includes things like uh, oil extraction, mineral extraction, grazing, uh, traditional, traditional agriculture. And so um, this, this, this natural asset company is actually destroying economic uh, activity on our land or would destroy economic activity on that land and would seek to find land rich in natural resources and lock it up so that those natural resources could not be utilized. Uh, it, it is an absolute uh, travesty uh, and, and the idea is a terrible idea and, and is harmful to all of us and we should all be uh, against that. I've had Margaret Byfield on the program and she was the first person to educate me on this at her previous summit back in September. And I was coming through the SEC rule and, and so many points stick out to me as problematic. And it's funny because we see a lot of people on the environmental left say, well, Republicans want to sell land and they want to commodify this. And I'm reading through this. So they want to enroll federal lands in a natural asset company. To me, that's a land grab. That's a, an intrusion on public lands access, which is supposed to be open for multiple uses. And also Treasure Oaks, I don't know if you know this, um, Hunting and fishing would also be interrupted, OTVing, ATVing as well. So it's not just the so-called extractive consumptive activities, but even the recreational stuff too. Um, so we would we would see, as you've mentioned in, in different correspondences and letters, enrollment of federal lands. That's a huge invasion, a, a violation of various different rules from Congress. Um, they don't have the authority to do that. Uh, they would also license rights to, uh, to own air, water, other natural aspects to entities like BlackRock, and to foreign adversaries like China, that's something they abundantly make clear. And then I think a third problematic point of, of all the problematic points it includes, they say that sustainable generating revenue would come from issuing carbon credits. <laughs> Am I yes. wrong here to think all those three aspects are problematic? No, no, you're absolutely right. And and I'm glad you brought up that the outdoor recreation component because really this is, um, it, it, the, the whole goal is to reduce human impact on land. And and uh, so there is a, definitely a push to get uh, motorized vehicles off of uh, off of uh, federal lands um, to you know prevent kind of traditional outdoor activity, hunting and fishing in particular, um, from happening. I mean, it, it it's unbelievable the extent to which they are going to to prevent human um, activity on on the land, and it has very serious. Uh, economic implications and and um, you know quality of life <laughs> implications for Indeed. all of us and uh, you know I just think when we when we start commoditizing um, positive externalities the clean air that we breathe or you know whatever it is that um, that we all sort of take for granted because it's it's absolutely necessary when that when we start uh, monetizing that and financializing that, that is a massive drain 
on all of us uh, if we have to s somehow, um, you know, seek forgiveness for our, our carbon emissions and, and buy some kind of a, a carbon offset that is owned by somebody who is managing the natural processes that create clean air, for example. That, I mean, that's that's the road we're going down, and it it, it it's shocking. Um, and I hope people uh, recognize the problem that that creates. And I, I don't care what your politics are; uh, we should all be against that. Yeah, because it perverts the free market system. It creates few to oversee and own private and public lands. I would think environmental leftists preservationists, including, would be opposed to this. They would think like this is invasive, this is problematic, it would close off access. But some of them are going along because they think they can be rewarded, uh, very similar to the BLM conservation landscape and health rule, which is a little outside your purview, but I have no doubt your colleagues in Utah, um, especially in Congress and those, I, I think the Attorney General as well, have also expressed concerns. But it also invites that same problem of stopping multiple uses on public lands among the, the problems with, obviously, what it would do to private land. Um, but it, it's very similar to, to this federal rule that's kind of in the works and soon to be finalized as well. But I am really surprised, but not surprised, that we don't see uh, the people who claim to be for public lands access not opposing this more. H have you had any interactions with people who may differ from your worldview, maybe expressing concerns? Have people who are perhaps on the center left um, in different interests expressed reservations about this, or you haven't heard anything yet? I, I haven't heard anything. The one thing that um, is is also concerning about this is there's a push for to get land into conservation easements in perpetuity. Uh, yeah, yeah, and even even uh, in a state like Utah that's already 67 percent owned by the federal government, there's a push um, to to get private land into conservation easements, and those could be enrolled in the NAC, mm -hmm. uh, and and that's. Uh, there's a, a major push across the country to to get more land into conservation easements, and I'm seeing that here uh, even in Utah. Um, so I think there's a, a big educational component that um, is necessary to make sure that people understand the problems associated with, you know, basically giving up property rights. That is a big concern. But I also tell people it's not just property rights, it's also your access to public lands too, because they're not stopping at who they view as consumptive users or despoil, traditional despoilers in their mind, not my words, of the land. Although they're not despoilers, they're the people closest to it. They're using very little space comparable to what I would believe a solar farm or a wind farm would use, which are far more destructive. Uh, but those mm -hmm. activities can be permitted on public lands if there are certain you know, BLM rule or if NACs were to proceed. Uh, they would be considered sustainable generating revenue enterprises, uh, these really invasive environmental projects. Um, but Treasure Oaks... As we close out our uh, episode together, could you direct people to how they can weigh in on this NAC rule? Because it, the deadline is coming up on January 18th. So how could those who are very concerned, doesn't matter where they fall in the country, how can they weigh in and submit comments? Because you could submit a one-sentence comment or a formalized comment, correct? Opposing yes. the NAC rule now that it's been reopened? Yes. Yeah. So you can um, go to the SEC website, and uh, I'm happy to uh, share a link Um for that, uh, so people can submit comments there. It's also really important for people to reach out to the congressional representatives, um, and with a special focus on financial services, the Financial Services Committee, because they oversee the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, so that's really important to to ensure that Congress is is putting pressure on the SEC as well. 
The other thing that people can do is reach out to the New York Stock Exchange and just tell them to to um, pull back their uh, proposal to the SEC. Uh, the New York Stock Exchange should not be doing this. It's it's clearly anti-free uh, market, and yet the New York Stock Exchange is one of the you know bastions of of uh, one of the institutions you know that really has helped um, our free market system. And and so it's pretty astonishing because. Uh, these natural asset companies could harm a lot of the companies that are already listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So it's it's almost like they're cannibalizing their own, um, you know, their own customers. Um, so that's another thing that people can do. And then, of course, reaching out to local legislators at the state level, uh, the governor, um, things like that. So uh, there's a lot of things that people can do. And 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 I think the the SEC and and the New York Stock Exchange are probably um rethinking this this whole thing because of the outcry that that has happened i mean this is a major threat people recognize it for what it is uh and are pushing back rightfully so and i appreciate uh people listening to this podcast doing the same and you and the other state financial officers who've worked under the kind of umbrella of the state financial officers foundation have done a phenomenal job bringing attention to this and I salute you guys for doing that because it's very hard. This is a convoluted topic. It makes no sense on the surface. And then when you dig into it and you extrapolate the details, you see what it is. So thank you so much for fighting this and, and on, you know, for, for preserving land rights and also public lands access because it would be a multi-pronged problem. Uh, and, and Treasure Oaks, where could people connect with you and your office to learn more about the latest updates to the NAC rule or even your efforts to fight ESG? Yeah, so they can go to to uh, my office website, treasure.utah.gov. Um, we do have a, a natural asset companies page. Um, we've got information also on on ESG and a lot of the letters um, that that we've sent uh, in regards to that. Uh, people can also go to my personal website, marlooaks.com, m-a-r-l-o-o-a-k-s.com. There's information there as well. Um, and then the State Financial Officers Foundation, sfof.com, uh, is another um, great resource. So re- really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. I, I, the, the, the thing that I view, kind of the treasure where this, this um, uh, kind of the crossroads of politics and capital markets is, is the economic freedoms that we have and really fighting to protect the, our economic freedoms. That's what I view uh, as treasurer is one of the most important roles now where we're seeing an attack on these economic freedoms that we have. It's really incumbent upon uh, public officials like myself to stand up and 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 defend the freedoms that we enjoy uh, on the economic side uh, of our country. And, and so that's really my goal. And when there's an update to the NAC rule, would you be willing to come back on again? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anytime. I'm happy to be helpful however I can. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Treasurer Oaks. And please keep us abreast with what is happening here and on ESG. Thank you, Gabriella. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you enjoyed what you heard today, go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify or wherever podcasts are played. Your feedback will help us reach more people. And I love to know what is on your mind after each episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement because that is our way of updating all of you listeners. And we have just hit a thousand followers on Instagram for the podcast account. Thank you very much. And if you have any guest suggestions or topics you want to hear on the show, I'm all ears. 
I would love to hear your feedback there. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. 